We have been working through the book of Galatians, as Don mentioned. Yes, we are going to write through the book of Galatians until the end of August. And then we will begin a new series. Uh, Freedom in Christ, that is the theme in the book of Galatians. We've been plowing through and the heart of the Christian doctrine, the Christian belief that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. I hope that this phrase will be imprinted into your heart and mind until uh, when we finish this series. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That is the heart of our Christian message. And the book of Galatians is talk about that because Paul planted churches in Galatia and after he left, there is a group of Christians, so-called Christians, Jewish Christians. They believe in the Messiah. They believe Jesus is, uh, has come, died on the cross, resurrected from the dead, ascended to it. They believe in Jesus, but they also believe that you need to continue to be circumcised. You need to observe the law of Moses and the ceremonial laws in order to be saved. And so Paul has to correct that belief. Say, no, no, no. It is not. You can't. And therefore, today's sermon is finished the way you start. Don't change course. What you started, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, you stick to that until you complete it. And the first two chapters, Paul has been defending his authority as an apostle because he carried the message to the people and he needs to ensure that they know that he has the credential to do that. And now from chapter 3 and 4, he's going to flesh it out. Why salvation is by grace alone through faith alone? Why salvation is not by works? Why justification is by faith and not by your work? He's going to prove it. He's going to lay it out there. He's going to produce evidence. He's going to argue. And so today, you're going to put on your thinking cap because it's quite technical. Chapter 3 is quite a technical uh, uh, chapter. So I've done my homework. I've digested it into my mind. And I will... Hope, hopefully I can explain it clearly, and, but at the same time, you have to do your part by coming with me. Paul begins by a very simple word. He says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? These are very strong words. You foolish Galatians. It is not at all uh, misprint. I was just reading about misprints in uh, church bulletins. We just give out our church bulletin. There are some misprints in the church bulletin, but not from our church. We have very uh, few women who are very detailed, you know. Eye for detail, not me. Uh, I have Caroline, I got Errol, they have eye for details. Uh, and make sure there's no mistakes. But there are some misprints in, in church bulletins everywhere. Let me read to you a few, all right? One of them said, Today the pastor will preach his farewell message, after which the choir will sing, break forth into joy. <laughs> the senior choir invites any member of the congregation who enjoys singing to join the choir. <laughs> Ladies, don't forget the rummaged sales. It's a chance to get rid of those things not worth keeping around the house. Please bring your husbands. <laughs> Evening massage, 6 p.m. 
The sermon this morning is con on contemporary issues number three, euthanasia, and the closing song, Take My Life. <laughs> Great news! Doctors have performed a CAT scan on Pastor McLaren's head and report that they have found nothing. <laughs> the peacemaking meeting scheduled for today has been cancelled due to a conflict. Visitors are asked to sing their names at the church entrance. After the sermon, a moment of silence for prayer and medication. <laughs> at the evening service tonight, the sermon topic will be, What is Hell? Come early and listen to our choir practice. <laughs> How good is that? And finally, Barbara remains in the hospital and needs blood donors for more transfusions. She is also trouble, she also having trouble sleeping and has request tapes of Pastor Nelson's sermons. <laughs> well, there may be misprint in this bulletin I've just read to you a humorous side of it, but this is no misprint. Paul is not mincing with words. He said, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? In the Amplified Version, I encourage you, if you have difficulty understanding Bible sometimes, it's good to read another version. Amplified Version say, Oh, you poor and silly and thoughtless and unreflecting and senseless Galatians, who has bewitched you? The word bewitch means casting a spell. Who has cast a spell on you that makes you depart from the gospel of grace and into embracing, believing, welcoming this gospel of by the Judaizer? And we just mentioned to you uh, last week that the the difference between the Judaizer and Paul is this. The Judaizer is saying that you must believe first and then you obey the ceremonial law and circumcise and all that, and then you will gain salvation. Paul is saying, no, no, no. This is not the gospel. The true gospel is you believe in the saving work of Jesus Christ and then you already attain salvation at that point. And after you have attained salvation, out of gratefulness, out of joyfulness, out of thankfulness to God, then you obey and live out your Christian life. That is the difference. And Paul now, in chapter 3, he is going to flesh out why salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And he's going to use three proofs. Three proofs. He's going to appeal to three things to underline his argument that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone. The first one is he's going to appeal to their experience. And then later on, he's going to appeal to their greatest patriot, which is Abraham. And then thirdly, he's going to appeal to the Bible, the scriptures. So three things he's going to use to appeal to them, say that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So let me just walk you through the first five verses that Don has already read to us. First and foremost, he is going to appeal to their own experience. 
Paul asked them, Paul said, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who has cast a spell on you? Now, please tell me. He asked them a few questions. He said, before your very eyes, Jesus Christ has clearly portrayed as crucified. They have saw God the Son. They have received Paul has presented the gospel to them in such a way that it is as if the word portray is a billboard that Christ has been portrayed as crucified in front of you. You know that Christ has died for you on the cross. So they saw the God's Son. You know, you believe that Jesus Christ has clearly been portrayed as crucified for you. And secondly, he said, I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Tell me, how did you receive the Spirit? When I preached the gospel to you at that time, you believed in Jesus Christ. Christ was portrayed to you as crucified. You believed in Jesus Christ. And when the minute you believe in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit descended upon you and resided on you. So the Holy Spirit is not a second experience. There's no such thing as a second baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's only one, and that is when you believe in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit descends and lives in your life. So it's not just talking about salvation as in justification. You say, before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified, and now he said that, how did you receive the Holy Spirit? How did you? Is it by works of the law, by believing in the law, by observing the law, or by believing what you heard about this gospel that you received the Holy Spirit. And then thirdly, he went on and asked them, are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Meaning to say that when the Holy Spirit comes and lives in you, He is going to do some work in you to help you to live your Christian life. You have started that way. Are you so foolish now that God, Holy Spirit, working in you, molding you, shaping you, and now you want to abandon that and you want to go back to observing the law? He says it's not going to happen. What is going to start by the Spirit is going to finish and complete by the Spirit. So he said, are you so foolish by beginning, after beginning by means of the Spirit, you are now trying to finish by means of the flesh. Have you experienced so much in vain if it is really was in vain? As in suffering, because Paul says that uh, they are going to face persecution. Have you persecute, been persecuted for nothing? And then finally he said, again I ask you, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? Miracles happen in your life, in what you see. How do miracles happen? Paul is asking them. Is it by observing the law or is it by what you have heard and received the Holy Spirit that you're beginning to see miracles happening in your life? So Paul, first and foremost, he's trying to establish why justification is by faith, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, is that he appealed to their own experience that they have started, they have experienced it in, in their lives. Why are you wanting to revert something that you already experienced? You know it. Just because of some threat, some of these guys comes, say, no, don't do that. And secondly, Paul went on to say, not just only that justification is by faith, 
by appealing to their experiences, by appealing now to Abraham, to the patriarch, the greatest patriarch. He's going to use Abraham as a figure to show them that salvation is by grace alone. He said, look at Abraham. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now that verse in verse 6 that Paul quoted comes from Genesis chapter 15. Come from Genesis 15. You know, sometimes when you quote a verse like that, if you know the context of that and why it was quoted, you get better, more out of it. Yeah? In that, you remember Genesis chapter 12? Abraham was 75 years old when God called him to leave, to go to Haran. 75 years old. Say, leave your country. God is going to use you. God is going to bless you with uh, a great nation, lots of people, and God's going to use you as a Jewish people to bless the world. But 11 years has passed. Said in 75 years old in Genesis 12, he received this promise. Now, Genesis 15, he's already 86 years old. Nothing has happened yet. Nothing has happened yet. 11 years has passed. And God came to him again and made this covenant to him. Sorry, let me just fast forward here. God said to him, he complained to God. He said, God, you have given me no children after 11 years. So a servant in my household will be my heir then, naturally. Then the word of the Lord came to him and said, this man will not be your heir, meaning the Ishmael. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and you count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Look at the number of stars in the skies. Your offspring is going to be that many. But remember, at this stage, after 11 years, he has none. It's only words from God. God said, you will have. So what did Abraham do after hearing what God has said to him? Abraham believed the Lord. And he credited it to him as righteousness. So Paul is now quoting this verse. Say that Abraham believed what God said to him. What God promised to him. He believed. And therefore, he was credited to him as righteousness. It was not by law. He did not observe anything. Law doesn't exist. Law only exists another 430 years later. Moses was not even in the, in the radar. So how can, by law, that he saved? And circumcision? You know how old was Abraham when he was circumcised? Any guess? 99 years old. And at this stage, he was 86. Circumcision is not even in the radar. Law was not even there at all. And so Abraham, at that stage, believed in the word of God, believed the Lord, and he accredited it to him as righteousness. So Paul is now appealing to Abraham and said to the people, how can Abraham... How can you say by law? How can you say by circumcision? It doesn't even exist that when God declared Abraham as righteous. 
understand then, then he went on to say that, understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. So now that you have faith, you are the children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. Way back. And he announced the gospel in advance to Abraham that all nations will be blessed through you. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So here, Paul not just only appealed to their own experience, Paul, not, Paul also appealed to Abraham as their greatest patriarch to say that Abraham was granted, was pronounced the status of being righteous by God, declared righteous by God on the account of the fact that he believed in God's word. And because of that, Paul said, the gospel was in advance that those who believe, those who are who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Paul's appeal to their experience. Paul appeals to their greatest patriarch, Abraham. And then now, Paul appeals to Scripture. Now, in this short passage, there are six verses that Paul used Scriptures to substantiate. He he brings back the Old Testament verses, put it all together, and show it to them that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And in fact, four, four sets of scriptures in these four verses, 10 to 14. Two from Deuteronomy, one from Habakkuk, and one from Leviticus. So this is where I need you to follow me. It's, it's, not, uh, uh, it's not easily understandable in the sense, so just follow me. Paul against appealing to Scripture, supporting his view that justification is by faith. He said, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. He said, If you want to be saved by law, then you are actually under the curse because everybody is under the curse. Why? Because in Deuteronomy chapter 26, it says, Curse is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. If you really want to live by the law, Paul say, then you have to live by the law completely, 100%. Then you are safe. The fact of the matter is you can't. And again, if you know Deuteronomy chapter 27, is a set of law that the Levites gather together the people of God and say, this is what you must not do. And then they say, Amen. I read to you a few. Okay? Curse is a man who casts an image or casts an idol, a thing detestable to the Lord, the work of the craftsman's hands, and sets it up in secret. And all the people will say, Amen. So you are cursed, okay? If you go and carve an image, Amen. Then he say, Cursed is a man who dishonor his father or his mother. Then all the people will say, Amen. Cursed is the man who moves his neighbor's boundary stone. Amen. Cursed is the man who has sex with his mother. Amen. Cursed is the man who, have, who sleeps with his uh, sisters or brothers. Amen. 
you must understand that this, this thing we think is so normal in a sense, but in that time there was no law at all. And that's why the Jewish people, they can pride on themselves because they had the law given by God to govern them. And next week we're going to look at what is then the function of the law. If you're not going to be saved by law, what is the purpose of God giving us the law? We're going to cover that next week, but here is only to say that I'm going to paint this context to you in the verse that in Deuteronomy chapter 27, why Paul quoted this verse, why people are under curse, because curse is everyone. And then this verse is the end of all these verses, of all this series of curses that Moses, not Moses, uh, Moses gave to them. These sets of curses. And at the end, in verse 20, so, so it's not verse 6 there, it's supposed to be verse 26, okay, in Deuteronomy. At the end of verse 26, at the end of all these laws that are cursed, he said, if you don't keep it, you'll be cursed. At the end of it, in verse 26, he said, cursed is the man who does not uphold the words of the law by carrying them out or continue to do everything written in the book of the law. So Paul here basically used this verse to say, if you really want to live by the law, you're going to be cursed. Why you're going to be cursed? Because you cannot keep up to all the law. And then he went on to quote another verse. He said, why? I say you cannot keep by the law. He said, clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God. You can't. Why? Because the righteous will live by faith. Again, quoting Habakkuk, a prophet, who says in the context of a Babylonian, conquering the nation of Israel who is strong and mighty. And Habakkuk is saying, the righteous will live by faith. So you, you are, if you want to live by the law, Paul say you'll be under a curse. Why you're under a curse? Because you clearly you cannot be justified by the law. Because the scripture says the righteous will live by faith. And then he said the law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. If you really want to say by law, then you have to live by the law all the way. Did you know that how difficult it is to live by the law? You just only need to break one law, you are considered a lawbreaker, isn't it? If you are a very obedient citizen, you obey everything, you pay your taxes, you don't lie, you don't, everything you do, you just need to speed in order to get a fine. You just need to break one law and you are considered a lawbreaker. And that is precisely what Paul is trying to tell the Galatians. You can't really be justified by law because no one can keep all law. If you really want to be saved, then you have to obey all laws which is almost impossible. Obey the law perfectly. If you want to obey the law, then you obey the law perfectly. Christ redeem us, he went on to say, Christ redeem us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, curse is everyone who is hung on a pole. So Paul here carry on this line of appealing to Scripture to tell them that salvation is by grace alone by appealing to this verse again. He said, Christ instead, instead of you receiving the curse, Christ received the curse on our behalf. 
And he quoted this verse, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. That Jesus died on a cross. He was hung there as a display to the world that he died on our behalf. Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. What for? Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole so that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So Paul is basically saying Christ died on our behalf. He is hung there as a display to show to the world that he is dying on our behalf. So the transfer of the punishment is to Jesus. The wrath of God has been fell on Christ and not on us. This is what, doc, what we call penal substitutionary atonement, PSA. This is the heart and fundamental of Christian doctrine, PSA. Penal substitutionary atonement. Jesus Christ died for us. He took the curse on our behalf. He took God's wrath for us. They got propitiation. Jesus Christ took God's wrath for us. He satisfied God's justice. He was our atoning sacrifice. Our curse was transferred to Him. His righteousness to us. That is the heart of the substitutionary atonement of Christ's work. And that is the heart of our Christian message. And Paul is trying to tell the Galatians, don't go back to the law. You can't. He appealed to their experience. He appealed to the great patriarch. He appealed by using scriptures to string together to let them see this beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ. About 10 years ago, uh, one of the most deadly terrorist attacks happened in an upscale mall in Nairobi, Kenya. Remember that? Ten years ago. Four gunmen, part of the Al-Qaeda affiliate Al-Shabaab, took the lives of 67 people with over 200 injured in that mall. 67 died, more than 200 people injured. Four gunmen went there and just open fire. It was by all accounts a horrible disaster, but one story of the shooting ended up receiving media attention. It was the story of a young mother named Niha Mashru. Niha was at the mall having coffee with a friend when a gunfire began. And having dropped to the floor, she heard a mobile phone going off near her. And not wanting the gunman to come closer, she reached out her hand under the person next to her to silence the phone. And it was at this point of her stretching out her hand that she found out that the guy had been shot and he was bleeding profusely. He was bleeding heavily. There was a lot of blood there, she said. And at this point, the woman made a difficult decision she decided to smear the blood of the man on her own face and body. She just smeared the blood 
on and wipe across her own body in hopes that the terrorists would assume she was dead and they would pass over her body. And her grisly camouflage probably saved this woman's life because the gunman walked past her thinking that she was already dead. And in the end of her conclusion, she said, I love to know who he was, that dead man, because I think his blood protected me. His blood saved my life. And that is the heart of our Christian message. This is the meaning of penal substitutionary atonement. Jesus took our place and died on our behalf. Lord, thank you for Paul that is able to use scripture to substantiate the position that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and never through the law. Law cannot save us. And we thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for his blood. As we sing this song, Lord, we are reminded Jesus is the Lamb of God for us. Amen.